Amen. Well, good morning, RBF. It is my great privilege to be able to preach to you and to be here with you this morning. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 9. That's where we're going to be this morning. And there are just three points I want to highlight for us. First, don't forget your status and rights, verses 1 to 12. Number two, don't forget the gospel over your rights, verses 12 to 23. And number three, don't forget to practice what you preach, verses 24 to 27. And I'll repeat those points throughout the sermon as you flip to 1 Corinthians. Before we read 1 Corinthians and before you stand, allow me to share a bit of context for you all. Back in chapter 8, Paul was concerned about Christians who had a weaker conscience, likely for believers who came from a pagan background. During this time, you could eat and purchase meat that was offered to idols. You could even eat food offered to idols in an idol and pagan temple. In fact, food in the temple was often used as a sacrifice for these idols. However, as others know, these pagan temples weren't only used for idol ceremonies or sacrifices, but they were places for social gatherings, rather regular places for people to gather, for parties, for, for get-togethers. It was common to hang out in pagan temples and to eat food there, food that was perhaps offered to idols at one point. So the Corinthians may have had questions on what to do as believers, Some may have thought that it was fine to just eat in temples and to eat food sacrificed to idols. After all, it's just food, right? Ultimately, food is just food, and idols do not really exist, as Paul even says in chapter 8-4. Nevertheless, Paul wanted the Corinthians to understand that eating these foods offered to idols in temples could really cause other brothers and sisters to stumble. For example, if a new believer saw a mature believer eating idol food, In the temple, the new believer may do the same, yet feel condemned in their conscience and therefore sin because they believe they're offering or eating food that was given to idols. This may have been insignificant for more mature believers, but to others it was troubling and a cause for sin. But then in chapter 8, 13, Paul says in the context of eating food offered to idols and pagan temples, he says this, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again lest I make my brother stumble. You see, Paul didn't want their rights and their preferences to hinder people's spiritual walks and faith. Well, as we consider chapter 9 now, we can understand that Paul offers his own life as an example. He lived in such a way that would maximize gospel opportunities and minimize stumbling others with his own preferences and rights. Specifically, he denies his right to financial support from the Corinthians so that he could better witness to them. But not only does he adapt for, Christi- for the Corinthians, but he says in verse 22, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Christ crucified and the gospel was of utmost importance to Paul. Seeing the lost come to Christ was crucial, of eternal significance. Life and death were on the line. He didn't want his preferences. He didn't want his rights to get in the way of his witness. So is that true for you in this room? Do you see the need for the gospel for other people? Do you see the need for the gospel to get to others? The need for the lost to be saved? If so, then all of us, you, need to be willing to take heed of Paul's example in chapter 9 
of laying down certain rights and preferences for the sake of the gospel. On that note, we're going to read chapter 9. We're going to read all of it, and it is a bit of a longer chapter. But if this is the word of God, it's worth our attention. So please stand with me as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says this, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of its milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure everything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share at the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provisions. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew, and in order to win Jews, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might say some. I do it for all for the sake of the gospel." that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified." This is the word of God. Please be seated. When we consider our society, we can understand that we live in quite a progressive city, don't we? Part of the world. We are free to choose our own preferences, do things and have things that we want. We are free to choose our friends, to choose our jobs, our location of residence. As an American or as a Canadian, it is our right to freely choose and freely live the way we want 
to live, and that can be fine. We are indeed free to choose and have preferences. However, consider now the gospel. Consider Christ on the cross and the wrath of God that he absorbed for people to free us from sin and condemnation. We are free, yet though we are free, we know that our freedom is not a license to do whatever we want. We have rights and freedoms, but we also have the gospel. Yes, we may be American or Canadian, we may be Asian or Caucasian, but we are first a Christian. Our identity is not found in our rights or freedoms, but it's found first in Christ. Our passage today, as highlighted in Paul's life, encourages us to consider the gospel and how we express our freedom, our preferences, and our rights. Oftentimes, we must choose the gospel even over our rights and preferences. And that brings us to our first point. Don't forget your status and rights in verses 1 to 12. You see, in our passage, Paul understood his rights. He understood the things that he was entitled to, didn't he? In fact, he was an apostle, and he indeed had many rights and freedoms. Yet in our passage, we see that he defends himself and his choices. He uses his own life as an example. Throughout our passage, he asks a variety of rhetorical questions that all have the answer yes. First, in verse 1, Paul states his status. Is he not free? Is he not an apostle? Has he not seen Jesus Christ himself? Are the Corinthians not his workmanship in the Lord? Yes, of course. There is no doubt Paul is indeed an eyewitness of Christ. He is a commissioned apostle by Christ. He experienced something that most of us have not. He is not a fraud. He is not a liar. Paul is an apostle. And he appeals to the Corinthians to not get it wrong. In fact, as verse 2 says, the Corinthians are seals of his apostleship. They are proof of it. They know it because they see the fruit and result of Paul's ministry with the gospel. There is no doubt. The church and the many who have come to Christ were influenced and guided by Paul himself. So Paul knows his status. He knows what he is entitled to. He is free. He is reputable. He has authority. So consider this idea of status for a second. Consider your own status. Status in our society and even back in Paul's holds weight and can have much to do with your rights and freedoms. Many of you have jobs and are employees with benefits and status. You're entitled to many things, to perks. You make money and you are free to spend your money how you wish on your preferences. And we are some of the most free people in the world. And as an apostle, Paul defends his rights. He goes on to defend his rights. And he understood that he too was free. And he goes on in verse 4. If he has the right to eat and drink, for example, or to take along a spouse uh, with support... Or rather, he has the right to do these things. He does. He's an apostle. Again, he's a minister for the gospel. This is his full-time job. He too has a right to be paid, like you and I. Why should he be excluded from being supported with even his basic needs and necessities? And again, in verse 5 to 6, Paul makes it clear that he is an apostle, no lower than others. Paul didn't have to tent make. He didn't have to work with his hands to make a living, but he chose to do so. And as an apostle, it was his freedom and right to receive support from others. He presses this, doesn't he? Then we get to verses 7 to 12, and we see more of his reasoning and explanation. In verse 7, he states how even soldiers and regular Joes like shepherds and farmers are rewarded and earn as a result of their work and labor. And in verse 9, Paul even shows from the Old Testament how an animal has the right to share in the crop that it works on. It says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Meaning, don't cover its mouth as the ox works. 
Let it enjoy and eat while it threshes and treads out the grain. And furthermore, it shows how the, this verse, or verse 10, was meant for us, that workers are allowed to be paid and rewarded for their labor, or to at least enjoy the fruit of their labor. One source points to how Jewish interpreters understood the ox to re- represent all types of la- labor, whether human labor or animal labor. Therefore, this principle of earning a wage and earning a living from your work, of course, was a standard that many knew even back in Paul's day, even applied as applied to animals. And therefore, we get to verses 11 and 12. Paul says, in light of all of this, that he too deserves these things. He is not an exception. He is not lesser. He deserves what many of us deserve, reward and gain from our labors. He works for the gospel, so therefore he should eat. Verse 11 says that if he has sown spiritual things among the Corinthians, shouldn't he also reap material things? A rhetoric question again, of course. It's not too much to earn his living and material things from his work, just as it's not too much for every single one of the Corinthians and every one of you to earn from their occupation. This principle should not be hard for us to understand, and this sets sets us up for the second half of our passage. A laborer deserves his wages. It's their right. Paul, just like everyone else, had the right to reap support and reward for his work. So, as we end this section, consider your rights. Yes, we here in North America have lots of rights and we can fight for our rights, and sometimes we should. This passage is not telling you to refuse pay for your work. Rather, the point here is that Paul too had rights. And he explains a principle that still stands today, that the laborer deserves their wage. We could have, he could have a wife with him if he wanted. He could have a normal life, just like you and me. Yet, in light of his rights, in light of his apostleship and who he was, we come to the second half of verse 12. And also to our second point. Don't forget the gospel over your rights. Don't forget the gospel over your rights in verses 12 to 23. This is our second point, but there will be two sub-points. And our first sub-point is, as we come to verses 12 to 19, be willing to lay down your rights. Be willing to lay down your rights. Again, in verse 13, Paul makes a true statement that those who are employed by certain places should make their living and share in the blessing of their hard work. And Paul even makes it clear that Christ himself commands that those who proclaim the gospel should make their living by the gospel and be supported by it. This is all true. Everything he said before earlier is also true. Nevertheless, though this is all true, Paul says something that is opposite and of even greater stress now in verse 12. He says that he has not made use of this right. He says in verse 12, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything. And and as verse 12 says, he does this rather than put any obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. This is a great concession, isn't it? Clearly, Paul could have taken full use of his rights to receive material gain and money for his work among the Corinthians. He was a full-time gospel worker. He established the church. He led many to Christ. Therefore, again, he deserves his wage and his living from them. But he gives it up. He doesn't accept it or exercise his right among the Corinthians. He does this and endures rather than put an obstacle in their way. And then we come to verses 16 and 19, where we see even more reason for why he gives up his right. He doesn't exercise his right, nor does he try to secure it. He does this so that no one would deprive him of his ground for boasting. 
As others know, often great speakers would come to these great cities and make great riches for themselves through their speaking engagements in Corinth. They would pursue fame and fortune through their uh, good words. They would charge money and get rich. There were possibly bad motives for their care and speech to the people. Perhaps there was a bad taste in the Corinthians' mouth because of people like this. So when they saw Paul, maybe they thought, Paul's just trying to get rich off of us, just like the other preachers. Perhaps they've seen other so-called believers take advantage of the poor through their speaking engagements, through their ministry in a city. Therefore, we can see the unique context for why Paul denied his right for pay among the Corinthians. Paul may not have wanted to be negatively associated with these other speakers who charged money and became rich. He didn't want to be thought of as someone who only shared the gospel or shared good things to get rich and famous, for example. Paul didn't want any stumbling block to come in front of the gospel, even at the cost of his own rights. Paul didn't care about that stuff. He cared truly for the Corinthians and for them to understand the riches of the gospel. This is one reason why he denied the Corinthians financial support. He did it so that they could focus solely again on the gospel and not on whether or not he's trying to get rich or famous. He didn't want the Corinthians to stumble. So he preached the gospel without charge. He wasn't trying to trick them. He wasn't trying to get materially rich off of them. And Paul, as our verse says, can boast in this because he truly cares for the Corinthians. He loves them. He denies his rights for them. He is not motivated, again, by monetary gain. One commentary notes that Paul could boast of a free gospel, a free gospel. That's what he's boasting. Furthermore, in verse 16, Paul states that he is motivated to preach this gospel because necessity is laid upon him. He must preach it. Eternity is on the line for billions of unbelievers. Christ has commissioned him to do it. So brothers and sisters, do you see this? The gospel is worthy of our whole lives, even if it means denying some of our rights and preferences at times. The gospel must be given with pure motive, without any hindrance from us. Paul, as verse 17 says, was entrusted with a stewardship and does not make use of his full rights in the gospel. The gospel came before his rights, and so it does for us. The gospel before our rights. There's a believer I know who got into multiple good colleges, some that were nearby and some that were far away from home. There was one college specifically that stood out. It had a good program, and it probably had many good opportunities there but it was far from home. However, when it came to rights and freedoms, this person had every right and freedom to choose whatever college she wanted to choose. After all, it's college. It's such an important decision, regardless of location. Ultimately, though, this believer decided upon a school that was near home, a school that was not her first choice. She did this because it meant she could have four more years of being able to witness to her unbelieving family. Furthermore, if this believer left home for college, it would be hard for her family. There would be potentially some stumbling blocks, some anger and frustration. Her leaving could have, uh, be difficult. It could be a stumbling block again for her to share the gospel with her family and for the family to hear the gospel because of all their anger and frustration and bitterness. Perhaps if she left home for college, it would make it hard to talk about the love of Christ because they would not feel loved by her daughter. 
You see, when it comes to something such as simple fun and enjoyment, we know what it's like to lay down some of our preferences and rights. Sure. A non-Christian even understands that. But when it comes to the gospel, are we willing to lay down some of our significant rights and preferences so that others can know the gospel more fully without hindrance? So that we can better witness to those around us? Are we willing to surrender some of our significant rights for our neighbors, for our beloved family members, so that we can more freely and regularly share the gospel with them? For more than just fun or trivial things on earth, do we see the necessity of gospel ministry? The gospel is a necessity. The gospel comes before our rights and preferences. And verse 18 says that Paul's reward is that he may present the gospel free of charge. I take this to mean that Paul finds his reward in the gospel to be able to preach Christ. He didn't expect to be paid back or to even be pat on the back, but he was happy to preach the gospel without any hindrance. And as a result, he didn't make full use of his rights in the gospel. And again, in verse 19, Paul acknowledges that he is free, free from all. He has liberty. He has choices and options. He's not bound by any worldly ideas or traditions, just like you and me. He was free to make his living from the gospel. He is free Nevertheless, though he is free, he makes himself, what, a servant to all so that he can win more people. Knowing that he is free, he surrenders certain preferences and rights so that he can proclaim the gospel again without any hindrance. One author says, true freedom, according to Paul, is the freedom to love and to give oneself to others. It's quite amazing then that Paul doesn't use his freedoms and rights to guilt the Corinthians. He doesn't guilt them. Rather, he is showing himself as an example of someone who forgoes his rights and freedoms, in a sense, to serve them, to love them, to care for them. And this brings us to verses 20 to 23, which is our next sub-point. Be all things to all people. As we have seen, the gospel is for all. It's not for selfish gain. The gospel is a necessity to save souls out of an eternal hell and to bring people to God as their greatest joy. So if that means not eating certain things when we're around people of other religions, so be it. If that means dressing more conservatively around certain people groups, so be it. No problem. If that means driving a car or buying a house that is more simple so that we don't give off a wrong understanding of Christianity, so be it. If that means living in a rougher part of the neighborhood to better reach those who would never step inside a church, so be it. If that means we can have more time explaining the gospel rather than defending our lifestyles, so be it. Let there be no hindrance to gospel witness, no hindrance to gospel witness, to gospel ministry from our lives and from our preferences. Would that not hinder people? Isn't this what we see now from Paul in verses 20 to 23? Paul surrenders certain rights to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and to the weak. As we have seen in verse 19, Paul is a free apostle, yet he has made himself a servant to all, setting aside personal preferences to win more people. And in verses 20 to 23, he expands on that. He expands on what he means. Clearly, Paul witnessed to all types of people. And as a result, he would have to contextualize and be strategic, as others know. Be sensitive as he witnessed to different people. First to the Jews, in verse 20, he became as a Jew. Perhaps appealing to Jews through the Old Testament, attending rituals and festivities that that he was free from in Christ. Not eating pork with them, though he was free to eat all things. One commentator points to adherence to the Mosaic law and observing traditions such as the weekly Sabbath, keeping Jewish purity laws, even though he didn't have to anymore. 
Furthermore, furthermore, Paul also highlights those outside the law. While Jews may indeed live under the law, the second category can also include non-Jews. Living under the law means living under the old era of redemptive history where the Mosaic law was still active. So Paul was sure to not offend or to slander the rituals that many people may have still been practicing. He did this even though he is free from many, uh, if not all the ceremonial laws found in the Old Testament. He does this, but he is sure to never look away from Christ for his righteousness. As you see in parentheses, it says that Paul was under the law of Christ, ultimately. We can assume that he then did not live against the works of Christ. He did not do anything that would compromise his faith and allegiance to Christ. It's not as if Paul reverted to the law for salvation. No, he still knew the cross. He still found his righteousness in Christ, and he obeyed Christ and his commands. Then in verse 21, to those outside the law, that is likely to many Gentiles and non-Jews, he was as one outside the law. To the Gentiles and Greeks who did not adhere to the Mosaic law, he may have appealed to their customs and to their understanding. He would reason with them about God and Scripture, using his freedom to spend time with the Gentiles, yet without sinning once again, perhaps using philosophy sometimes. To the weak in verse 22, he became weak. That is, as others say, those who are weaker in conscience. Paul became weak. He does not do things that would cause other people's consciences to stumble. He would not act as a know-it-all around new believers, for example. He is aware of newer and less mature Christians who had much to learn in Christ, who came from different backgrounds, perhaps pagan backgrounds. And in this context, then, he would not eat certain meat or food that may have been originally offered to idols. For example, if there was a new Jewish convert and he had discipleship with him, he's not going to eat pork belly with them during that time. So Paul does all this and becomes all things to all people, that by all means he might save some, as verse 22 says. He does, all this, um, he does all that he does so that, as verse 23 says, so that he may share with them in gospel blessing. He wants to know the joy and blessing of fellowshipping with new believers and other brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants people to turn from sin and to turn to Christ so that he can be their brother and to share in the joy of salvation once again. So, brothers and sisters, consider the joy and blessing that there is to be found in winning others to Christ, in winning your family members to Christ, winning your best friend to Christ, winning your coworkers, seeing the miraculous change as they repent of their sin and turn to Christ, sharing in gospel blessing with them here on earth and one day in eternity. That's a joy. Eternity is on the line, yet allow the blessings and joy of the gospel to motivate you to become all things to all people. Brothers and sisters, we need to be eager about reaching all types of different people. We need to remember again that there are over 6 billion people in this world who are lost, who are outside of Christ, who are on their way to an eternal hell. So surely then, we can give up some of our temptations temporary rights and freedoms, even significant rights if needed, to better promote the gospel. We can do that. We can take away potential stumbling blocks from our own lives. It's worth it. It's not a sacrifice. On another note, as I briefly stated, Paul was always sure to become all things to all people within the boundaries of Christ. That is, without sinning or going against his conscience. He belongs to Christ, after all, doesn't he? Purchased and freed from sin by Christ. 
And as verse 21 says, he was still under the law of Christ. He was free to live in and under the righteousness of Christ, to do righteous things. So brothers and sisters, indeed the gospel can sometimes call you to surrender your rights and freedoms and become all things to all people. Yes, but that is not a license to sin or to go against Christ. You are not free to get drunk. You're not free to engage in gossip. You're not free to live in sin. You're not free to neglect your devos and your Bible reading. You're not free to neglect your spouse or your family members. You are simply free to contextualize and adapt to others, to use wisdom, to love those around you, to surrender certain rights, but you are not free to disobey God in your endeavor to reach all people. You're not free to live contrary to God's word. So therefore, great wisdom and biblical understanding is needed as you become all things to all people. Remember, surrender your rights and adapt so that those around you can hear the gospel without hindrance, without questioning your character and your life. Don't put your integrity and character at stake as you become all things to all people. And that brings us to our third and last point. Don't forget to watch over your life. Verses 24 to 27. In light of everything mentioned by Paul in the defense of his ministry and why he does what he does regarding his rights, we come to the end of our chapter. We need to watch our lives, don't we? We need to be disciplined in our Christian walk. We need to live a life that has been transformed by the very gospel we preach. Paul reminds the Corinthians that we are not running or laboring for a perishable reward, but for an imperishable reward, as verse 25 says. Christians are to labor and fight sin in this life, not for earthly reward, but for a heavenly reward. Paul understood this, and he too claimed to not run aimlessly, without purpose or in foolishness. Paul understood, as chapter 10 later on states, that many in the past who may have seemed promising at first eventually fell away. They fell away. The temptations of this world, the idols that we are so inclined towards are always around However, we must remember that eternity is also on the line. There is an eternal and imperishable reward that awaits those who persevere. Paul uses the example of disciplining his body and keeping it under control. In other words, staying focused, fighting sin, fighting the things he struggles with, fighting the temptations to look and to love evil things. The gospel, the goal is the gospel, isn't it? What's the point of surrendering all our rights, sharing the gospel with those around us, yet living contrary to what we just preached? Paul knew this danger, and as verse 27 says, he did not want to be disqualified. He did not want to preach, yet live a contrary life to the gospel by falling into, falling into sin and temptation. Over and over again, I hear people say, I feel distant from God, or I haven't been walking as I should in this Christian life, perhaps falling into unrepentant and habitual sin. Yet when I ask how their prayer or Bible reading life is, it's not common to hear that it's basically non-existent. The examples Paul uses for disciplining his body and keeping it under control, although extreme, are not silly examples. We need to fight against our sin with the word of God. We need to be disciplined. We need to do all that we can to pursue the imperishable reward to not run aimlessly, lest after all our preaching, all our witnessing, all our gospel ministry, we be disqualified because we weren't disciplined in our Christian walk and holiness. So brothers and sisters, take watch over your life. Practice what you preach. So an application, again, consider your life. 
your dealings with believers and unbelievers? Is there anything in your life that would perhaps inhibit the advance of the gospel? That would stumble others or cause others to not listen to you as you try to share the gospel? In many circumstances, circumstances, when you are with unbelievers, the gospel should come before your rights again. The gospel over your rights. You're free to discern, but generally we want to always limit any stumbling blocks that our preferences or lives may produce from the gospel to the gospel. For example, what about the types of people you hang out with? Do you only seek to reach out to people who are similar to you? Do you only like to work with or go out to dinner with those who you are comfortable to be around? We are free, again, to hang out with who we want, to care for who we want, but if we are to become all things to all people, consider reaching out to those that may be harder to talk to, to those who are very different from you, for example. Within RBF, for example, there are both many single young adults who have lots of time and freedom, and there are many parents who are older, not old, but older in a different stage of life with multiple children. Often it's easy to just interact with people who we are comfortable with, yes. It's well within our rights to do so, to connect with those who are in a similar stage, with those we already know well. Of course, if you are a young single man or a woman, you can't just become a parent. But maybe one way you can become all things to older parents is by reaching out to them, getting to know them, picking their brain to see what parenting really looks like. What does it look like to be a stay-at-home mom with multiple children? What does it look like to be a dad and also a full-time engineer? You can, in turn, better understand how to serve and care for parents and families. You can know what to talk about with them, for example. Consider then how to become all things to all people among even your own church family today. Reaching out to those you may have to adapt to and change for can be a good and encouraging thing. Furthermore, you as a Christian can become all things to all people, not just, not just to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ, but so that you can bring the gospel to as many people as you can, and so that you can reach different types of people. For example, maybe you can evangelize in SF instead of Mountain View. Maybe you can go on a mission trip outside of Asia and the USA. Maybe one day you can consider taking a job outside of the South Bay or outside of New York and work in a place that needs development in your particular field of work. Becoming all things to all people may require some of us to live and work somewhere else one day and to adapt to a different type of people. And this can be a good thing so that we can share in gospel blessing with others. And thirdly, for some of you, Maybe there are other issues and rights that you may need to surrender, such as how we spend our money and how you display yourself to the world. Again, there's nothing wrong with making money, yet what we do with it, what we spend on, can sometimes be a stumbling block to gospel advancement, can it? When we preach that Christ is worthy of our lives, when we tell others to renounce all that they have to be Christ's disciple or to not make this world their home, Yet we preach this as believers who indeed do not live a simple life. How might Christianity look to the unbeliever? For example, if we seek to reach the homeless who who have very little or to those who have very little, would they receive our words and the gospel message we preach to them if they saw the way that we lived? Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. If they saw how much money we put towards our vacations, our homes, and even children, would that be a stumbling block? I know we live in the South Bay, but again, if someone outside of the South Bay came and saw your life and what you put your money to, would it be, again, a cause for stumbling? Lastly, I want to ask you all, do you know Christ? 
Do you know God who created you, who we are accountable to? Do you know that we have all sinned against God? And do you know that God in his great love sent his own son to die on the cross for your sin, to take on the form of a servant, take on the form of human likeness? He emptied himself. He became nothing so that he could reach us. He died on the cross and he rose again three days later so that whoever trusts in this Christ can be forgiven of sin and have everlasting life with him. So look to Christ, look to him, to his example, and look to God as we have a perfect God and become all things to all people in your endeavor to reach the lost. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and though it is indeed a challenging word at times, we admit, God, that we do not always want to give up our rights and preferences. We don't want to give up our, our, our comfortable things, our comfortable lifestyle. We like where we are. We like the people that we hang out with. We like the cliques that you have placed us with. But Father, if we understand the gospel, if we understand what's on the line, help us to understand and be willing to lay down some of our even significant rights and preferences for the sake of the gospel. Would there be no cause for stumbling from our life or from our character? Would people look at our lives and see the gospel? Would they not see our lives and and see us as hypocrites, God? So cause us to be disciplined with our body. Cause us to be disciplined in our speech and in our actions and our devotion to you that we might not be disqualified one day. We thank you for your word and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.